Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, Pastor Tyler here. Welcome to our last studio recording. Lord willing, we're never back in the studio. We're always in person. So let's uh, finish one strong. I'm going to give you everything I got for the last one in a studio. But man, I can't wait. Next Saturday, uh, the 27th on uh, 6 p.m. It's going to be amazing. If you signed up, great job. If you haven't, you better sign up soon because we're about to fill up. There is a capacity that we have to honor with the city. So sign up today. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see you next Saturday and worship with you. All right, enough about uh, this next Saturday. Let's focus on today. Today I got a message for you, and I think it's going to be something special. I believe it's something that's going to help change your life. I think it's going to give you maybe a new way to look at life on how to operate, think, and live. Now, if you're brand new to uh, our church, we're in a series titled Knowing God, Knowing God. And now, uh, why I love this series so much is I really believe this, that uh, throughout Scripture it shows the importance of us knowing our God, because if you don't know whose you are, you don't know who you are. Another way to say it is you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going. If you don't know who created you, you don't know why you're created. You need to know that you were made on purpose for a purpose. Um, I'm going to use a silly illustration, if that's okay with you. I watched a show when I was in high school. It was on the WB. The WB. Do you remember the WB? If not, I think it's like the CW now. But it was called Smallville. Smallville. Now, in this show, Smallville, it's based off of the great character, I believe the greatest superhero of all superheroes ever created in all the comic books, Superman. I think he's the best of the best. Integrity, character, even a symbol means hope. Come on now, you know? He's got the best powers. He's just the best dude. I mean, everything about Superman, I love Superman. Well, this is about him as a teenager. Well, if you don't know anything about this, it's it's him discovering who he is because he doesn't know where he came from. And so he doesn't even know the gifts that he has. If you ever watched Smallville, something drove me nuts about this show. I remember watching it and there would be something bad happening. And instead of flying, Superman would run really fast, and I would be screaming at the screen, you're not Flash, man, you're Superman. You're not supposed to run, you're supposed to fly. He didn't even know he could fly because he didn't know anybody else from his planet, didn't know anybody else that could show him, hey, we don't only run, we can fly. Let let me say something real quick, Christian. If you don't get around the word of God, this is what I love about Jesus, he was the first man ever to come from heaven, so he knew where he was from and knew who he was. The Bible says we're ambassadors of heaven. The Bible says that we're aliens on this earth that we're not of this place. The only way that that happens, you get in the word of God, I will never be a product of my environment. I will always be a product of the word. And here's why, because I want to know my God. So many Christians are kind of like Clark Kent Smallville. They're just running around instead of flying. They're not actually living out their greatest potential. They're not living out the greatest gift. And here's why, they just don't know God. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, uh, when you start to get to know God, you start to get to you know your greatest gift, and then you start operating on what I call six cylinders. If you ever been in a car and a car's got one or two cylinders off, it's just not as powerful. I believe a, a Christian operating with all six cylinders is one that loves God well and loves people well. I want to read you a verse real quick about just how important it is for you to know how much God loves you because I think the greatest Christians, when they start to fly, when they start to soar, if I could put it that way, is when they just really understand how loved they are by God and then when they start loving people well and they love God well. Let me read you a verse in Ephesians 3, 17 through 18. This is my intro to Knowing God series. Hope you're liking it. Here we go. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. I see a lot of weak Christians today. Come on, let's become strong Christians. How do you do it? You hang out with God, you let your roots grow down in his love. Come on. And may you have the power to understand. Ooh, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, oh I, oh, I pray you can have the power. 
for you to have this kind of knowledge, for you to grasp it. You ever hear anybody talk above your, your level, like just say words you don't know? I don't want to get all pedantic and ostentatious on you. Or they, uh, you ever talk to a mechanic who starts talking about cars or starts talking about all these different things that are in there and just you don't get it? Well, well the Holy Spirit's saying, oh, I hope that the ears that you have and the process you have, I pray that you could grasp the power of it because here's some big words for you, Christian. Here's the big words for you, seeker. I want to hear this quick. And me have the power to understand as all God's people should. You should know this. I mean, I love this, this strong verbiage here. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. The Holy Spirit is <laughs> praying for us, if I could put it that way, through scripture. Oh, I pray that you would have the power. Oh, I want you to know you should know this, that God loves you. Oh, it's so, oh, you, if you knew how high, how wide, how deep it was, ooh, you would live differently. You would pray differently. You would love people differently. I, I, I I think when you find out that God loved you first, you start to love people better. I think you start to operate a little bit more, you start flying. I, uh, Rachel and I, early in our marriage, we would go in these little uh, uh, bouts, married nine years almost now, and I'll be honest, we haven't had uh, the uh, perfect nine years, but it's been pretty darn close. Shout out to my boo, we've had a great nine years. I mean, we laugh a lot, we don't fight a lot. I'm sorry if you've maybe had a harder run. Rachel and I, we just, it's just been a little easy for us for some reason. I think because I'm a great leader, but I don't know, maybe that's just me. I think I just lead her so well, and she knows how to follow. I'm just kidding, I'm getting in trouble right now by saying that, let's keep going. We just had a good nine years. But in the beginning of our marriage, we had these rhythms once in a while where one of us would just get in a bad mood. And so Rachel would just get in a bad mood one day. And the, the bad mood would keep going for the day. And once she started getting a bad mood, I'd just be like, I'm not gonna be nice to her anymore. She's not being nice to me. Why would I be nice to her? And so I would kind of almost shut down a little bit. I'd kind of almost get a little short with her and just kind of check out a little bit. And, and by day two or three in our little, um, little uh, I would just say funk, uh, she would say to me, what, what's wrong? Don't you love me anymore? I'm like, yeah, I love you, but you're just being mean, girl. You're just being mean, so I bowed out. And she's like, Tyler, when I'm being unkind, I need you to hug the porcupine. I was like, hug the porcupine? What? Where's the porcupine at? Like, what are you talking about? She goes, it's me. Sometimes I can get a little prickly. And all I need you to do is give me a hug when I'm prickly. I don't need you to check out on me. I don't need you to walk away from me. I just need you to give me a hug when I'm prickly. Can I tell you something real quick, church? When you find out that Jesus was the first one to hug the porcupine, let me, let me get real deep with you. When he was the first one to hug mankind, when mankind didn't deserve a hug. Oh, I'm so glad we have a savior that doesn't check out when we treat him terribly. I'm so glad we have a savior that doesn't check out when we, when we uh, come to him with unkind words where we crucified him on a cross. I'm so thankful that God hugged us first. Can I tell you something real quick? When you realize God hugged you first before you deserved a hug, you're gonna start hugging other people first. Man, the church is best. This is something we say. When people come to Mission Church, ooh, they're gonna start coming to church again. Saturday, uh, February, uh, February 27th. This is something we always say about each service. I pray people would come, taste and see the Lord is good. Oh, there's something about experience the goodness of God. One way you experience is people just love you where you're at. They love you not because of what they can get from you. They love you when you're unlovable. Oh, may we be the church that hugs the porcupine. May we love the Bay Area when it doesn't deserve our love. May we not give up on the Bay Area when it starts to attack us. Ooh, when the Bay Area gets prickly, we're not checking out. We're leaning in and giving a big hug. That's what Ephesians shows us. God leaned in and gave a hug. We're going to lean in and give a hug. Ooh, do you like what I'm preaching right now? If you do, give me a fire emoji in the chats. Give me a hands up. Give me an amen. Here's what I know about our chats. Nobody's really on them, so thank you anyways. <laughs> Every Sunday, I'll see somebody in the chats like, oh my gosh, somebody's writing in the chats actually. Here's why I think we don't write in the chats a lot. You're busy focusing. You're busy worshiping and praying. You're taking notes on your notepad probably. But if you are in the chats, give me a fire emoji. All right, that's, uh, that's my intro. That's my intro to my, my, my message today. 
The title of my talk today is Something Different, Something Different. If you're at home, turn to your neighbor and say, you something different. Look in the mirror if you're by yourself, you something different. It's good to be something different. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. Lord, I thank you that uh, we are entering a new season where we get to worship together in person. But Lord, I believe that you used these last 10 months. I believe people got saved. I believe that the church moved forward, that the gates of hell are still being defeated. But Lord, we come with great expectations today as we finish out this season, Lord, that you will still move in houses. Lord, if people are watching at their living room right now, Lord, I pray that they would uh, awaken right now to uh, really their purpose. Uh, Mission Church, I, I gotta, I'm gonna interrupt my prayer. I've never done this before. I want you to look at me real quick. I, I wanna pray for us to have a Sunday venue. Um, I've been praying a ton this last week for a Sunday venue. We're meeting on a Saturday night. That's great. But I believe that there's a home for us in Walnut Creek for us to meet on Sunday. I believe it. If you're at, if you're at um, the 9 o'clock service, 11 o'clock service, I want you to stand up real quick. I want you to stand in agreement. And I want you to agree with me that we can find a Sunday home. I'm going to pray for finances for this Sunday home. I'm going to pray for favor with the city. Let's pray real quick. God, we come before you right now, and I pray for a Sunday venue. Lord, I pray that you would make a way when there is no way. I pray that we'd have favor with the city. Lord, I pray that you would give us favor financially, Lord, that you would give us the perfect spot for this season, Lord. And Lord, it may be a forever home or it may be a temporary home. Whatever you want, Lord, we submit to you. But God, we pray for a Sunday home for church where we can make disciples, where we can worship you, where we can pray, where we can literally build the house of God. And Lord, it can be a city on a hill, oh, a lighthouse on a hill. And everybody said, amen, amen. Woo! Okay, you can sit back down. I'm believing you stood back up with me. Come on now. All right. Let's get into my message. So I told you every week I'm trying to read some scripture from John. We were in John 6 last week, and today we're in John 7 now this week. And when we read these um, chapters, you just got to see a facet of God. I want you to see another facet of God. There's this moment in Revelation where the cherubims are literally worshiping God, and the theologians, the way they unpack it is the cherubims will lift their eyes open, and they'll see God, and they'll say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, is to come. And then they bow their head again, and they open their eyes again. And what theologians say is that the cherubims for eternity will bow down and worship God and they see a new facet of God and that's what makes them worship him again. That they literally, oh my gosh, he's even more beautiful than I saw last time. I saw another beautiful part of my God. And so they worship him with holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. Well, when you read scripture, it's the same thing. We read John 7 and we see another facet of God and we say, oh God, you're just so good. We see John 4, he's so kind to the Samaritan. We see in John 5, he's so, he's so kind to the man at the pool. He's just, oh, he's just such a good God. We see in John 2 that he's a God who loves to party. I love our God. So let's look at John 7 and see what it says to us today. Time I talk in is something different, something different. So to set this up, Jesus goes to the Festival of Tabernacles, the Festival of Tabernacles. Now let me just give you a heads up. I love to set the context of what is happening in the picture of it. So he's going to the Festival of Tabernacles. You can read that and just whew, blow by it. This is a very important thing to catch. The Festival of the Tabernacles is one of the three parties God instructed God's people back in Exodus to celebrate. It's an eight-day party. It's an eight-day party. Now, it's now, of course, hundreds and hundreds of years past that. Hundreds and hundreds of years past that. So now they don't live in tents. But for eight days, they all get a tent. They come to um, Judea, I believe, and they set up shop with tents. It's kind of like a Christian Woodstock. It's kind of like a, a Christian um, uh, a Burning Man, uh, like a, but not, 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 the, not the gross Burning Man where like literally it's like just hum, uh, humanity is worse. I'm talking about it's a Jewish festival celebrating for eight days what God did for God's people and them remembering. Can I tell you why it was so important for them to do this? When the Israelites came out of slavery, Jesus, God, excuse me, came to them and said, I want you to have three parties this, each year. And they're not going to be for a day, they're going to be for days, plural. Can you imagine this? Just, let's, let's just get, get, get in the shoes of the Bible. Can you imagine being a kid? 
you're 12 years old and you're in your bedroom and your dad walks in. And you're like, what's up, dad? All right, that's it. I'm putting my foot down. What for? You are going to have a party. We're going to celebrate for eight days. We're going to turn it all the way up. All the way up. We got the party like it's like 1999. What's 1999 mean? It's an old song I used to like, kid. I'm sorry. And so you're like, hold on a second, Dad. You want a party for eight? Oh, no, you're going to learn how to celebrate, son. What do you mean celebrate? For, for eight days, Tyler, I want you to celebrate at the house. We're going to do a party for eight days straight. Nothing else but just party and celebrate and celebrate. On day five, guess what we're going to do? Celebrate some more. What about day six? Celebrate some more. What about day seven? We're going to celebrate some more. What about day eight, Dad? We're going to celebrate some more. I wonder how your soul would feel if you celebrated for eight straight days. I wonder how your heart would be if you celebrated for eight straight days. The Israelites, God commanded them because all they knew was slavery. All they knew was being oppressed by uh, Pharaoh. And so God goes, oh, my, my people, I, you only know one culture and it's oppression. You only know one culture and it's burden. I want you to feel the kingdom culture, the culture of heaven. You're going to party for eight days. He had three of those parties he instructed them. He put his foot down with the Israelites and said, you're going to party. Can I tell you something real quick this week? Celebrate a little bit. Let, let's start today. Sunday to Sunday, celebrate every day. Just what if you made this week celebration week? I'm not going to think about anything stressful. I'm just going to celebrate what God's done in my life. I'm going to celebrate some things. I'm going to invite people over and party. COVID, socially distanced, wear a mask, get in your bubble, whatever you want to do. But you're going to party for a week and see what happens to your mind and soul. Some of you are great at being a martyr, but you're terrible at celebrating what God's doing. Oh, may you celebrate this week. That's, that's a big part of this thing I want you to catch. Let's keep going. I haven't gotten a scripture yet. I'm already 15 minutes in. You should be nervous. Let's go. Um, <laughs> After this, Jesus went around into Galilee. He did not want to go about into Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Stop. We're in John 7. And if you would not have noticed the last few weeks, I got a new preaching style. I call I preach it like I feel it. I basically read and then I stop when I see something I believe is revelation that God wants us to share. I hope you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. We're going to stop all right already because there is some revelation right here. Jesus, for the first six chapters, has kept the party going in John 2. Thank you for coming, Jesus. Let's keep that party going. He has uh, healed a, a lame man. He has uh, revived a whole city, forgiven a terrible adulterer. He's loving people and healing people. He's walked on water. He's fed 5,000 and then some. He's done all these great things. And in John 7, guess what they want to do to him for all that? They want to kill him. Can I tell you something real quick? We are so imperfect as humans that we couldn't identify the perfect person who is on the planet today. We're so imperfect. Oh, the, the world is so imperfect that if, a, if the perfect Jesus was on the earth today, we'd still want to kill him because he wouldn't say all the things you want him to say. He wouldn't do all the things you want him to do. Can, can I write this down real quick? Something that John 7 shows us, and we have to follow suit if we're Christians. Jesus is, with, um, Jesus is on a head-on collision with the world. It is a head-on collision of a battle. There's two head-on collisions he has. He has a head-on collision with the legalistic people, and he has a head-on collision with the licentious people. And that's really what we have today in our world. We got people always trying to make up rules. You got to say this, do this, wear this, act this way, walk this way, do this way. You'll find in church, we call them the religious ones. You, you, in, in, in the world, you just call them the ones that are the politically demanding ones. That's literally, like, you better do this or not do that or I'm going to cancel you. It's cancel culture. So you got all the rules on this side. It's the legalistic side. And then you got the licentious side. 
Oh, don't tell me what to do. Oh, their freedom is me just being whatever I want to be. I can just figure out whatever I want. And Christianity is like, oh, grace means I can do whatever I want. That's not what grace means, by the way. So the licentious groups, you got the legalistic group and the licentious group. I read a story recently about an Ivy League professor who said to his, his class, hey, we're, we've lost our values in America. We got to go back to our values. And a student responded, whose values are we going back to, professor? And bam, the professor had to stop. And this is the problem in the world right now, where you find your values. Are you finding it from the legalistic ones in the world? Do you find it from the licentious ones? Well, here's the reason why I call it something different. Jesus came out and said, I'm not going to be the legalistic one. I'm not going to be the licentious one. I'm going to be something different. I'm going to preach the gospel of grace. And it bothers both these sides so much. Because grace demands more from you than licentious living. Licentious living means that you just do whatever you want and you, what you feel like. Grace, oh, grace raises the bar in your life. And to legalistic people, grace makes you realize that you can't get there by rules. You can only get there by Jesus. It's something different and it's called grace. Oh, they wanted to kill him because he was a God of grace. Oh, you know, I, I love what one theologian said. Jewish people didn't kill Jesus. Religious people killed Jesus. Religious people hate grace. Let's keep going. I, uh, I wrote this down real quick. So if the leader of our movement, Jesus, the all-powerful God, Alpha Mega, the world hates him, shouldn't they hate its followers too? And the problem with that is, is I don't like people hating me. I like people liking me. But the reality is, is that if Jesus was, a, with a, was on a head-on collision with the, the world, that means the church is too. Have you noticed the chasm that we just don't fit in with all the politics on either side? Have you ever noticed that we don't fit in with what the world wants to do? We're not going to get in tow with the world. I love this verse that says in Matthew 5, 9 through 10. Blessed are the peacemakers. Woo, who likes to be a peacemaker? Come on now, I love peace in the house. I love peace in the church. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The following verse is the one I don't like as much, but I got to embrace it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man, this next season of the church, I really believe it. We're not... Fear of man is a snare, it says in the word of God. I will not fear man. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to go through his scripture. And I'm going to declare what God says. And if people don't like it, oh, man, I'm just going to say I'm just in the same boat. Now, some Christians are what I call religious Christians, and everybody hates them, and they think they're being like Jesus. Nah, sorry, that's not you, dog. Come on now. Love people. Live righteously. And if it does happen, it does happen. But man, may we understand we're in a head-on collision with what the world's trying to do. That's okay. We're not supposed to get, be like culture. We're not supposed to be like the religion. We're supposed to be something different. We're grace. Let's keep going. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacle was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Oof. So you got to get this real quick. Jesus' brothers who don't even believe in him, by the way, these are some of my favorite moments in all the Bible. I mean, the ones that make me just laugh. By myself, I kind of get a little chuckle here because it never works out well when man comes to Jesus and gives him a suggestion on how he should do things. You'll see Peter do it at the tabernacle. I'm so glad I'm here, God. I'll make some little uh, stone things uh, because, and the God's like, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Whenever we suggest things to God, we're, we're I'm going to say 100% of the time wrong almost. All the time wrong. And this is one of those adorable moments. They come to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, all right, you are doing all these things in Galilee. Who would do all these miracles in Galilee? Who would operate in Galilee? You're not going to change the world in Galilee. You've got to go to Judea and change Judea. Can I just give you something real quick, uh, Christian? Uh, and if you're even seeking real quick, uh, I find it fascinating that uh, we can go to school and we can get a minor in speaking but we don't get a minor in listening. You won't find those at any universities. 
when I was at Bible college. You can major in so many things. You could go to preaching class, but there was no listening class to go to. Um, I find it interesting that you can buy book after book on how to be a great communicator, but there's very few books on how to be a great listener. Did you know that faith comes by hearing the word of God, not suggesting things to God? Maybe you don't have a lot of faith because all you're doing is suggesting your plan to God all the time. What if you actually listen to God? You know what else happens when you listen to God? The Bible says those who listen and obey are disciples. A lot of the problems in your life is simply this. You're not listening well. Oh, become a better listener. Oh, major in listening this next season. Just start listening to what God has to say for you. Instead of praying and suggesting, just read the word of God and sit there and say, God, I'm going to listen to what you have for me. Listen to mentors. Find some people that you actually respect. Find some people that have life that are years on you that are farther along and just listen to them. The Bible shows throughout Proverbs about us having two ears and one mouth. The Bible basically says all the time, shut up, stop talking, listen to the word of God, listen to your mentors. It's one of those moments where just these idiot brothers go, well, I got an idea. What if you go to Judea? That's how you could change the world. Stop suggesting, start listening. Let's keep going. Sorry, that was kind of mean. I feel like I yelled at you. Let's keep reading. Okay. Um, uh, Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. So they suggest things like, hey, man, we don't really even believe in you, but you probably should go do it in Judea. I know you've walked on water and you fed 5,000, you healed a lame man, but we still don't believe in you. What a crazy thing. Rejected by his family, rejected by mankind, betrayed. Man, if you've ever been rejected, there's one person you can identify with more than anybody, and his name is Jesus. Oh, he can enter into that rejection with you. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for you. Any time will do. Ooh, let me read that again. This is, this is one of the cruxes of something different. Ready? Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not here for you. Any time will do. Sometimes I said, my time has not yet come. And for you, any time is good. Goes on to say, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that it works are evil. You, are, uh, you go to the festival. I am not going to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he has said this, he stayed in Galilee. Ooh, let's talk about two things. This is going to be a big part of the, the teaching. Jesus loves, um, Jesus loves the world, uh, but he also hates the world. Tells us to, to not like the world at the same time. I'm going to read some verse to you if that makes sense. So let's talk about the world and let's talk about timing. So in the Bible, when you see Jesus talk about the world, there's two types of worlds. I want to read you two verses to kind of give you context. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Well, hold on a second. Let me, uh, that's in uh, 1 John 2.15. It could go on to say, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's a lot of don't like the world. That's a lot of, hey, get away from the world. But then John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Hold on a second. Don't look at the world. Don't talk to the world. It's kind of like your parents when you got a bad kid. You know, hey, you know Johnny? He's dangerous. Don't talk to Johnny. Don't think like Johnny. You hang out with Johnny, you go into prison. Johnny's a bad man. For God so loved Johnny. It would confuse you, right? Here's why. Because the Greek had different words. There's two different meanings with the world when, when God's talking about the Bible. The first one, when, when he says, for God so loved the world, he loved his creation. You go to Genesis and he creates it and he says, it was good exclamation point. He enjoyed what he made. He loved his creation. But the thing he hates about the world is the mindset of the world. And the mindset of the world is the spirit of this world. And so he says, oh, I love this world, but stay away from the mindset of this world. The spirit of this world that would say, live this way, do whatever you want. The world that would define values just seasonally and just add thing year after year. Stay away from that world. So what does it mean to have a worldly mindset? 
Well, there's this word, a word that we use a lot, and we just say it, but um, you need to know really what it means. It's secular. And the Latin word for secular we get from is, I'm not going to pronounce it right, forgive me, I'm trying my best, seculum, seculum, okay, S-E-S-A-E-C-U-L-U-M, right here, boom, I'll put it right there for you, I'll actually put it in the slides. And all it means is a period of time. Another way to define it, it means living in the now. So secular means living in the now. The worldly mindset, the way it's defined throughout uh, scripture, uh, the one where, where we're thinking like the world is simply like this, you're living for today and today only. And Jesus is saying to his brothers, when they're like, hey, you should go there today. And he's just like, man, my time, why is it for you that right now is always the right time? I want to get married right now. I want a promotion right now. I want all my money right now. I want everything right now. The prodigal son, give everything to me right now. I got the mindset of the world. The problem when you live for the right now and you don't live for eternity, it changes how you see people. It changes how you see your mission. It changes how you see your value. If I'm being honest, I think suicides are on the highest rates because people are so secular-minded. They're living for right now. Well, if right now is terrible, I'm done with my life. And that may be a little intense to say, but I think one of the problems in our world is so many people are anxious and worried and depressed because all they're thinking about is the right now and actually not looking to the reward of heaven. And just saying, time out, my time has not yet come. For you, any time is right. Oh, for us to be a church that's going to make an eternal impact, man, we can't think about the right now. we got to think about what it means to live five billion years from now. If, if you could start processing your life on an eternal aspect, you would live more for the eternal than you would for the temporal. That means your relationships would be stewarded differently. That means you would probably evangelize differently. That means you'd probably steward your finances differently. I'm going to touch that on the very end. Oh, if you actually did not live with a worldly mindset, you would live differently and love differently. You'd be something different. Oof, the world needs something different. They don't need more right now people. They need some people that actually live for eternity and eternal things. Because when you live for eternity, guess what? People become the most valuable thing on the planet to you because they're the only eternal, the only eternal things here. And the things that used to matter, they just don't matter that much anymore. Ooh, it's a freeing thing. Let's uh, go to the conclusion. So it goes on to say in verse 10, however, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? So here's my conclusion. We're going we're gonna to read John 7, 12 through 19. Uh, again, what a fascinating thing. I, I want to, John 7 is one of those ones like, I should just go to like raising Lazarus because John 7 is this weird one. They want to kill Jesus. He won't go to the festival. What is it showing? And it's showing a lot though. It's showing an amazing facet of God. And then it goes on in the second half of John 7. Uh, you, you'll tell, he'll, he'll show living water at the very end. But in the middle, it shows all these people debating on who he is. They can't see who he is. They're like, is he a good guy? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he a Messiah? It goes all the way through John 7. Let's read this real quick. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued. There's a lot of grumbling about Jesus today still. What is he? They go on to say, he's a good man. But the others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves, but, in a, person, but a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. In fact, you are trying to kill me. Stop. Jesus is like, you don't see who I am. You think I'm a, maybe a good guy, deceived? You want to kill me? If you actually saw who I am, you'd bow at my feet and you'd worship me because you know I'm coming to save your life. I want to finish with this illustration. The problem 
And this story is twofold. One is you got a lot of people around Jesus with a worldly mindset. They're trying to tell Jesus to do things a worldly way. Jesus tries to show us to do things a heavenly way. And then you have all these people who don't know who God is. So they want to kill God or they want to blame him or they just want to give a tip cap. You're a nice guy. When you see God for who he is, it will change your whole life. When you get to know God, I want to, I want to um, give you a quick illustration of what I mean by that. Picture two people. And this is where we get to be something different for the world. Picture a guy named Greg and a guy named Bill. Greg and Bill go to order. Let's say, let's go to Costco. Hey, who loves a good Costco hot dog? Shout out to Costco. I love me a good Costco hot dog. Costco pizza, Costco um, uh, ice cream. They got some great things. So you know the menu right in front of you. It's like $1.50, hot dog and a soda. You're like, ooh, I'll take two of those. So you know that menu. Well, imagine going to Costco. Greg doesn't have the best eyesight. He can see that menu. But Costco just added this new menu in the very back of their uh, kitchen. And Bill can see it because he's got great eyesight. He's got 20-20 vision. And so Greg's ordering, yeah, I'll take your hot dog and uh, I'll take your, uh, your ice cream. It's $4, sir. I love that things still cost $4 at Costco, by the way. That is an amazing thing. And then Greg's standing there for his order, and Bill comes up. And Bill goes, oh, y'all have your filet mignon. Um, I'll have uh, the asparagus with it. You know what? I'm, I'm feeling pretty hungry. Throw a lobster tail on there, too. Oh, you got it, sir? $22. That's how Costco rolls. A lobster and filet mignon for 22 bucks. I love you, Costco. And Greg would be like, what are... Greg would look at Bill and be like, Bill, you're, you're crazy. Where are you ordering? How are you ordering that? There's, what, do you, what do you see that I don't see? The reason why Christians are different, and this is one of the greatest reasons why, is because we just see Jesus differently. We don't see him as a good man. We don't see him as a prophet. We don't see him as a fraud. We see him as the savior of the world. We see him as the alpha and omega. And when you see God differently and you see something different, you become something different. I'm gonna show you three things different that will happen in your life when you see something different. The first thing that happens when you start to see a different God, when you start to see the Savior and people start to look at you a little different is when you see God differently, it will change the way you steward your life. It will change the way you steward your life. When you realize the decisions you make today will affect five billion years from now 50 billion years from now, it puts a different weight on the day in a good way. We, we literally do, we just treat people so terribly, but if you realize that the only things that are gonna be around five billion years from now, you'd probably be a little more caring around people. Let me put it this way. Uh, there was an NFL quarterback who uh, had signed a $100 million contract. And they asked him, one of the first, what's one of the first things you're gonna do? He's like, the first thing I'm gonna do with this new contract, I'm gonna tithe to my church. Now do the math real quick, $100 million, and write $10 million check to his church. The people on ESPN and other sport networks, they thought this guy was crazy. Kind of like the way Greg thought Bill was crazy. Bill, what are you doing? doing what, do you, what do you see that I don't see? Why would you give that much money to the house of God? Why would you give that to the church? Here's why. Because this quarterback sees life different. He's something different. He sees that his finances, when he gives God his first fruit, it's good for his soul because he knows his Savior. He sees that when he makes an eternal investment, that the Bible says that whatever you give, you're going to receive tenfold in heaven. Ooh, he sees differently, so therefore he gives differently. I, I, uh, I remember being in high school, and I wasn't really a Christian, and there's kids in my school, and we're going to go on spring break, and they would go on a mission trip. And I look at them like, are you crazy? You're going to go on a mission trip and not go on spring break? Like, you're not going to go do something fun? We'd go to Arizona for our spring break, go see the Mariners. We'd go down to L.A. Like, you're going on a mission? I thought they were the craziest people. They saw something different than I did in high school. They saw a different purpose for their life. Oh, when you start to see God differently, you see your schedule differently. It's going to change you. I got two more we're done. Second thing it's going to do, it changes your attitude towards uncertainty. When you see God 
you see certainty. You see the finish line. You see the promises. I, I wrote this down in a little quote for you. Worldly people are always over-exaggerating the importance of now. They're always over-exaggerating the importance of now. Man, when you are a person who has a worldly mindset and you have a temporal mindset and a secular mindset, here's what I, I've heard since I've, you know, I've really gotten the political debate. Obama's president, it's over. It's the end of the world. Oh, I'm done. Then Trump was president. I heard a bunch of other people, it's the end of the world. Trump is president. Now Biden's president. It's the end of the world. Man, you are going to feel this way for every four years for the rest of your life if you don't start seeing Jesus a little differently. Oh, there is a king on the throne. I see that you have a master plan, God. I see that you're going to use everything for your glory. In the midst of this uncertainty in politics, in the midst of this uncertainty with health and COVID, in the midst of the uncertainty, oh, the stock market. Oh, if you're somebody who's in the stock market and it's going here and here, oh, the uncertainty. But if you know your God is the one that actually holds the treasures of your life, you're going to have certainty in your life. Oh, when you start to see a certain God, the uncertain things, they just fade away. And last but not least, it changes what's glamorous. Oh, it changes what's glamorous. I wrote this down. Jesus was in the wrong place. He was born in the wrong kind of family. He conducted his ministry in the uh, wrong ways and the wrong areas. He did everything wrong. And he changed the world. Man, the world will tell you this is how you do things right. And they'll say this is the glamorous way to get there. But man, when you see things differently, here's what people are going to say to you. I wrote this down real quick. People are going to say to you, <laughs> why did you sit at the end of the table, not at the front of the table? Hey, hey, why don't you self-promote yourself? Hey, hey, why don't you... Uh, act cutthroat in business the same way people do? Why are you more generous than a taker? And the reason why is you don't live life the glamorous way, you live it the servant way. Because you know that a servant changed the world, so therefore you're gonna be a servant to change the world also. Oh, there's something to be said about that. I, I, I wanna read this to you real quick. It, there's something about waking up to this new way of living that is a servant, humble posture. It says in Romans 13, 12 to 13, I'm gonna finish with this. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Here's what Paul's saying. Worldliness, it makes you sleepy. He's saying, get away from darkness and get in the light. He's saying, you gotta wake up, Christian. You got to wake up because when you live for the world, and you live for the glamorous things, you might as well be sleepwalking your whole life. When you chase fame, when you chase money, when you chase the applauds of man, you might as well just be sleeping through your whole life. And he goes, wake up, Christian. Live a decent life. Live a life of stewardship. Live a life of certainty. Live a life that is, oh, humble. I love that what Jesus does when he rebukes the... Uh, Pharisees. He rebukes them all the time for the things they want. Then the, the disciples would mess up and they say, God, I want to be great. He never rebuked greatness. He redirected greatness. He redirects it. He goes, you want to be great? Become a servant. Oh, there is nothing glamorous about being a servant. There's nothing glamorous about setting up chairs. There's nothing glamorous about setting up uh, church. Hey, we're going to start setting up church again on Saturday. Uh, shameless plug. You want to help change the world? Start helping to set up. Get on a team at Mission Church. Come on now. Kids team, we need some help. Setup team, we need some help. Production team, we need some help. Uh, uh, welcome team, we need some help. Man, there's something special about people saying, there's nothing glamorous in it, but I know this is the way Jesus did it, so I'm going to do it. Mission Church, I love you. Uh, it's crazy. Saturday. I'm gonna be with you in a room worshiping. And if you can't make it, we'll still be streaming it online for you on Sunday. It's gonna be amazing. Uh, can I pray for you real quick? God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for what you're doing in the church. I believe you're doing something in the earth today, Lord, with the church. And so, Lord, I pray for all the churches right now as they're starting to meet together again. Lord, I pray for protection. 
God, I pray for strength and courage that they wouldn't fear man, but they would uh, only fear you. The beginning to wisdom is fearing you. Lord, I pray for the person watching right now that's brand new. If you're brand new to church and you heard something today, like, man, I'll, I want this Jesus. I want this Jesus. You want to say yes to Jesus, yes to salvation, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to curse. You want to say yes to Jesus. We always give about three or four ways to say yes. We're not going to make it hard for you. You can say yes on the YouTube. You can say yes to somebody around. Say, I want to say yes to Jesus. You can go on our website and say yes. You can call a friend and say yes. And here's the biggest thing I want to get. When you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that he is Lord, you will be saved. There's something about saying, Jesus, I need you coming to my life. Oh, Mission Church, I love you. We'll see you next Saturday. Peace. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.